Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. This is episode 56. Steve Olson here with Kurt Mortensen as well. We are both rocking the common cold right now. Happy to bring to you our very nasally insights on persuasion, influence, and motivation. Kurt, how you feeling, buddy? Hey, a little under the weather. I picked up something in Tampa on the airplane or somewhere. Kids brought it home from school, but eh, a little under the weather. You might get a cough here and there. Hopefully we can edit those out. But other than that, it's a good day. You heard it here first. Kurt uh, brought Ebola back from Tampa. He's yeah. going to be responsible for the ensuing pandemic, right? That's you. They say that in West Vile I want to bring back too. So it's a combination of both. Yeah, we're going to start calling you Patient Zero. <laughs> That's right. Makes you feel good. That's good verbal packaging for the doctor. Yeah, and Patient Zero, tell me this. Like, really? Call yeah, me patient Bob. Zero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The guy who started it. That's the non-verbal package form. You got one of the interns coming in saying, uh, Mr. Zero, I need to check your pulse. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Dude, you got to see what's going on here. <laughs> Nobody wants to be that jerk patient zero. It's all your fault if you're patient zero. Well, I guess it's better be in John Doe because if you're a John Doe, you're probably not breathing anymore. Uh, and nobody loves you too. That could be a problem. Yeah, so I'll yeah. take patient zero or patient 12 over John Doe. Lofty goals, don't be a patient zero <laughs> or a John Doe, and you're off to a great start in life, people. You'll have a much better day, I guarantee it. <laughs> yes, if you are <laughs> never referred to as John Doe or patient zero, uh, it's a place to start. Yeah, yeah, count your blessings, you're doing pretty good. Yep, yep, good job. <laughs> Well, let's uh, chat today. We've got some good information. Last episode, we talked about creating a call to action and closing skills. And I think part of that is always knowing what the psychology of objections are. Because, you know, we, we were getting into that last week, Kurt, of people think closing skills are a couple of slick lines that they can say that are going to get the deal done. And we established pretty firmly on the last episode that it's not about those slick lines at the end. It's about opening and asking questions and getting everything covered. So you've got to understand that psychology of the objections to plan for them ahead of time. And so you can solve them when they come up, even though you've tried to get them not come up at, uh, at all. So that's what we're here to talk about, the psychology of objections. What the heck does that even mean? I mean, can I ask a sick guy to explain that? <laughs> well, the first thing to realize with objections is there's real objections, there's knee-jerk objections, and then there's just venom objections. And I don't know if we need to spend time with venom objections. Hopefully everyone can figure those out where they're just done with you and they're just throwing zingers at you. But the numbers are pretty interesting that 67% of the time that objection, that initial objection that's thrown out to you, and we've done tests on this where it's too expensive and we're just surprised how fast people go away when it was never the issue. There's other issues. And so it's important to find out if it's a true objection or a needed jerk objection before you even start solving the objection. Because there's nothing worse than solving the wrong objection. Because if they're just throwing out it's too expensive and that's not the issue, and you say, well, compared to what, then all of a sudden you're going down the wrong road and you're going to lose all rapport. So why do they do that? Why do they give these objections that are not the real problem or not the real emotion they're experiencing? Well, some of it's dissonance. They're feeling kind of maybe backed into a corner, the rubber band stretching. We've, we've talked about that before. I think sometimes they don't even know. They're feeling like they like it, but they're not quite sure. It's a subconscious saying. They're just going to throw things out to buy themselves more time. We've all made bad decisions, and so a lot of times we like to put off, put off, put off the decision until we have to absolutely make it. 
And sometimes we just throw things out that don't make a lot of sense. So you need to find out right away through question or through reading body language or both, is it a knee-jerk objection or is it a true objection? Well, that's a good point, Kurt, because I've caught myself doing that before where some salesman is really turning up the pressure, trying to get me to make a decision that I just don't feel like I want to make. And I don't know why he's got stinky breath or whatever it is, but I either don't know why or I'm not comfortable saying why. And it's really easy to just revert to that. uh, I I don't have the money when I probably actually, if I cared, I would have the money. So isn't there a difference between there's a couple of different kinds of I don't have the money. There's I don't have the money, which means my credit cards are maxed. There's nothing in my 401k. I have nothing in the bank and I'm unemployed. I mean, to me, that's what I don't have any money means. But most of the time, it's I don't have any money for you. Isn't that right? (laughs) That's it. I don't have any money for you. I don't see the value. Why should I spend for something that's maybe a perception of $2 in value? And that's a big thing that we need to understand with these anastasies with questions is, does it make sense? And I mean, you do a lot with real estate. If I say, look, work with me. I made $50,000 in real estate. And they say, well, but it took you three months of hard work. You're like, hello, really? Or... They say something like, well, I'm making $10,000 a year in my network marketing business. You want to join? Well, you have to talk to your family and friends. Well, I made $20,000 in the stock market. Join me. But you have to be in front of your computer. You know what I mean? I have, let's get some rental properties. I have 20 rental properties. Yeah, but you have to deal with renters. You read through these. Who cares? If you're making $20,000 a month in real estate income, dealing with renters is the least of your worries. Yeah. Well, let's say then, because I know most salespeople out there, I get that I don't have any money or or we don't have the budget for that or whatever it is. Okay. So what is the most common thing that you would recommend that somebody who is hearing that often start doing so that they can, you know, hear it less? Well, for example, the money, we all hear the money, money, money. And of course it's a knee-jerk reaction and it might be asking a question, well, what were you expecting to invest? And that's a question. You're asking a question and that's the moment of truth when they say, well, not that much. No, really. I mean, how close are we? And they don't give you a number. That's a knee-jerk reaction. Or my favorite one is when you they say, I got to talk to my spouse or I have to talk to my partner. We hear that one all the time. And you ask a question, well, what exactly do you need to talk to them about? And they say, well, everything. Hello, knee-jerk reaction. But if they say, concerned about the warranty or I'm not sure about the square footage, that does two things. It tells you that it's a real objection and it tells you exactly what the objection is. Okay, good points, good points. So I think that um, when we go back to the money, I'm not going to assume everybody knows this. Uh, we all know what assuming does. Mm-hmm. I think most of our audience knows this, but let's just let's just get it out there too. I'm going fly fishing next week, Right. And I go to the place that I'm going to fish at because there's fish in there. <laughs> Hungry well, fish, right? Isn't that well, an well, wait, 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 Let me fathom that for a second. Okay, yeah. Okay. I think I got it. I think I got it. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. I know I put <laughs> your mind there, but that's the same thing with prospecting for, for whatever it is. Are you talking to the best prospects, right? And you might be talking to good prospects, but could you be talking to better ones? It's good to analyze that maybe once or twice a year. Where are your leads coming from? Could you be talking to better people? Is every single person you're talking to saying the same objections over and over again? And I've had to learn that lesson a hard way a few times. For example, in my real estate business, I was working a certain part of town and uh, the data that I was getting to come in and the leads, I was just having zero success and I abandoned it completely. And it, it wasn't an issue of, hey, you're not being persistent enough or you're not willing to put up with the rejection and, you know, the, the whole some will, some won't 
so what, who's next thing. It was just not a good part of town for me to be focusing on because numbers-wise, statistically, I wasn't talking to very many qualified property sellers that I needed. So that's something that's good to evaluate, right? You don't want to get stuck in that, hey, this was working X amount of years ago and you're going to go down with the ship. Make sure that the prospects you're talking to are the best qualified batch of them. Because otherwise, all this stuff that we're teaching you about persuasion, I mean, if people are just utterly not qualified, if there's no fish in the stream, what does it matter what kind of bait you're using, right? That's exactly true. I love what marketing expert Dan Kennedy talks about fishing and you can go to a lake in a boat and wait all day and get one fish. He says, if I'm going fishing, I want a barrel full of fish with a shotgun. That's how I want to fish. <laughs> and yeah. If you use that towards marketing, the same thing. You want a barrel full of fish or do you want to go out to a huge lake and catch that one fish? And that's an important part of it, too. Are your prospects the type of people that you want to be talking to? Yep, yep. Let's assume now that they are. Okay. Right? And if you have the luxury where your marketing department or your boss or whoever listens to you or they really care about getting you good leads. That's great. I know that not everybody has that and they have to put up with junky leads, right? So, but let's assume that you've got decent leads and now you are hearing the objection of, I don't have the money over and over again. It really comes down to a question of value, right? Because if they felt the value was there, why would they be saying that? That's exactly right. Is the value there? I don't know if you remember in the seminars when I'd hold out a $20 bill and I'd sell it for a dollar and people would just clamor all over and they would do yeah, it. Yeah. Uh -huh. They would take it. And they're sitting there all excited and they're looking at me and I said, yeah, it's real. I said, wait a minute. I just sold a $20 bill for a dollar. Don't you want to think about it? Don't you want to talk to your spouse? Go to my website. Don't you want to read my book? And they're like, no, no, no. Because when the value's there, there is no think about it, talk to a spouse. People will run to get it. And that's important to understand. It's, first of all, is it a knee-jerk reaction or have you blown your presentation? Have you not built the value to where, in their mind, they're trading a $1 bill for a $20 bill? Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Now, sometimes maybe the nature of your product or the industry is just, uh, it's not possible. I, I live around a lot of guys, have friends who sell to government agencies or large corporations where making a sale is not as simple as sitting down to somebody showing value and they say, where do I sign? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's a much more complicated bureaucratic sale and uh, having a good relationship with somebody uh, is often going to be the ally that you need to weave through that whole bureaucratic process. But is there a way that you can do that when you're making the bureaucratic sale where it's got to go to a committee who's going to make a decision and in six months, I mean, you've got no, well, I don't want to say you don't have any ability to, to instill urgency there, but wow, that's kind of a challenge. That's a huge challenge. And the longer the sale, the more tools or laws of persuasion that you're going to need. Now, if this is just a 10 minute $2 item, it's just a value thing. That's easy. But now as we extend the process one, two, three years, we have to look at the rapport. We have to look at the trust. We also have to look at the value. I think the biggest thing I've seen in those longer contracts that take two or three years is a, relationships is important. The trust is, is important. You are now the consultant, but also the danger of relying on somebody else to build the value of your product or service instead of yourself. Because if you present to somebody, they're excited about it, and they try to present the exact same thing to their committee, they're going to get shot down. They won't be able to answer the questions. They won't be able to build the value. They're going to feel stupid versus if you could have been there or at least coached the person on how to present it, it would have had a different outcome. Yeah, that's true. So that's hard though. So let's assume you're in you're in the middle of that bureaucratic sale, okay? And you're talking to Bill, the purchasing manager, 
and he has to go to committee once a quarter and they're going to decide if they're going to take on a new product or not and at what price they're willing to do it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's set up to, we, we talked about it, it's a beta trap. It's set up to take the value away and to take the urgency away and to give them all the control. That's what it's really trying to do. So you're inevitably, that purchasing manager is going to say, oh, well, this sounds really good. Let me take it to the committee. How do you get to go in front of the committee yourself or at least you know, not offend them to the point where you say, hey, look, I'm going to do a better job than you are. So at least let me sit down and talk with you and give you some of the talking points that I found have worked well in the past. Do you have any tips there? Yeah. If you have that relationship where you say, well, Bob, if it was up to you, would you purchase this today? And if they said something like, well, yeah. So well, you're going to this committee. I want to make sure that you have all the right answers. I want to make sure you look good that you'll be able to answer. You mind if we have a little prep time? We spend 10, 15 minutes together. I can give you some bullet points and some things that you can talk about so you look really good. You sound really educated. I want to make sure that you do a great job. So there's a little what's in it for me in there. You're helping them out. It's not going to take that long. Or again, best case scenario, if you can get yourself in there, say, well, are you, do you know all the answers? Are you up to speed? It would be okay if I show up and did the presentation. Again, it depends on the relationship. It depends on the product. It depends on the industry because you start dealing with government, there are a lot more rules. Yeah, that's true. They're not always on your on your side. But I I had that happen once where I knew a product manager was going to be taking my, this was actually a line of properties that I was doing, and they were going to take them to, quote unquote, the owners for their quarterly meeting. And I said exactly what you just said. I said, hey, look, I, you know, I know that it can be tough, you know, because you, you're not out there every day with my product and stuff. You know, you, you don't know it like I do. You know what you do better than anybody, right? Fluff his ego a little bit. I said, if you like, we can go over some of the common things that I hear owners and boards asking all the time about this stuff. So you've got, bam, good snappy answers. You know, I'll buy you lunch. We'll talk it over. Or better yet, hey, some people just tell me to come to the meeting and I'll give a quick five-minute spiel. Either of those work for you? And, and in this case, he said, yeah, why don't you just come to the meeting? We don't usually do that, but I don't see why it would hurt. And that got me the deal, right? Mm -hmm. Because like you said, I wasn't relying on him. But hey, at least worst case you're prepping them, right? Instead of just explaining it and saying, yeah, go talk to them, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you can't assume that they're going to give it the same justice and the same passion that you did. They're going to try to re-explain it. It's just not going to work very effectively. And that's the key point because you're answering that emotion is very difficult for most people. And people see this when they come to seminars. It's two or three days. They're excited. They, made a, they learned all this information. They met all these great people and they go home to try to explain it to a spouse that just goes, <laughs> they just can't transfer. The same thing's true when you're persuading people to do something. Yep. Yep. Good points. So we've dealt a lot about today, the, the psychology behind the money objection and also behind, I think what it really is getting to is the authority. And really you've heard this too before is I, I got to talk to my spouse, right? Well, that's, that's the same objection as I got to take it to the committee. It, it's, I can't make this decision. There's somebody else involved. Right. And so it's a best case scenario is have all the decision makers present, which is not always possible because prospects will just downright lie to you many times. Right. B. OK, you made the presentation. You found out there is another decision maker. Can you be the one to go to the meeting or to talk to the decision maker? C. You have to coach this person, if you can't go to the meeting or meet with the spouse or meet with the brother or whoever it is, you have to coach the other person on what this person's objections are going to be. And then last place is you give them the pitch and they just go do it for you. That's absolutely the most undesirable one. So you've got those three choices, eh? Qualify your leads better so you are talking to the person in charge, 
B, go to the meeting. C, at least coach the person that you're sending. Exactly. Just remember, nobody can sell, nobody can persuade, nobody influence about your product service idea better than you can. Yep. Good call. So next week, we're going to get into a couple more of these uh, typical objections that people are hearing. So we did the money and the authority today, and we'll get into some of the more next week. But I understand a little bit out of order here. We've got a geeky article moment incoming. Is that correct? Yep. But here's the new sound. Tell me what you think. I still think we need to get Steve Urkel snorting and laughing, but that'll do for this week. All right, well, listeners, send me a better sound. This is the geeky article we need to talk about. This one was in the second edition of Maximum Influence. I added some research on different aspects of contrast and expectations. And let me ask you this, Steve. Do you believe that you get what you pay for? Yeah, I tend to believe that. And most people do. When you look at price, only 6% of the things we buy are bottom price. And so as we talked about objections today, that knee-jerk reaction... We don't always eat at McDonald's. We don't always shop at thrift store. We don't always buy the cheapest wine. We don't do that. And there is something about price. So here's an interesting study actually done by the American Medical Association about prescriptions and the impact on price. And so these are painkillers. So researchers wanted to give two sets of shocks to participants. Now, I don't know what it is with psychiatrists and electric shocks, but they have to go together. I think it's a prerequisite they learn in school. They have to shock people. Where do they find these people? <laughs> I don't know. But they find people to get paid to get shocked. So, and now this was a shock that would make your heart skip a beat. I mean, this was a shock you're going to feel. So the first set they gave these participants, and again, I don't know where they find them, this brochure on this new painkiller. They were all excited about it. It was cutting edge. And the brochure said that 92% of patients that had this new painkiller found significant pain relief in 10 minutes, and it would last for eight hours, and it cost $2.50 a pill, okay? Now, the second set was exactly the same, except it was 10 cents a pill. So the only difference, the shock was the same, but one was $2.50 and one was 10 cents, right? So they gave them shocks without the medication. Then they gave them this medication. They waited a few minutes, and this is what they found out. The study found that 85% of the participants with the $2.50 pill, felt less pain. And only 61% of the 10-cent pill group felt less pain, right? Everything wow. was exactly the same. Actually, there's a study done with the National Academy of Sciences that did a similar one with wine, right? So they were just doing a taste test. Some of the participants thought the wine was $10 a bottle, and some thought it was $90 a bottle. The only difference, okay? Same bottle, same batch. And here's what happened. When it was $10... They rated it 2.4 out of 6, and it was $90, which was the truth. It was rated 4 out of 6. So there's something about perception and pricing. You get what you pay for. And we always tell people this, don't fight on price. Any rookie can do that. Build the value. Raise your price. That's what we tell all entrepreneurs. Take a deep breath. Double your price. And go out there. Don't demean your value. So even if you're getting a ton of uh, consumer complaints. You just raise your price and they're automatically right. going to perceive it to be better, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, it's just true for most entrepreneurs. You usually do not charge enough for their services and what they do. But here's just interesting studies on, on that perception of price and what it does and the subconscious triggers. So there's a happy medium there, obviously, what you need to do. But that painkiller study was interesting to show the difference in just the perception of price and how well it worked. Oh, that's pretty cool stuff. That's pretty cool stuff. So why don't we get into our buddy Homer? Cue him up. Homer, let's hear it. Don't, don't, don't. So there he is. This is the time of year we're going into football season. And I think that 
a lot of people end up switching their TV provider at the beginning of football season, at least in America, because they're thinking, I want uh, this new package or whatever. And I went through that issue myself last week. And I had DirecTV. Now, DirecTV doesn't happen to carry a specific network that is very important to me that I want to uh, be able to watch sports on. So I thought, okay, you know what? Let's call up DirecTV. Let's tell them I'm going to cancel. Let's see what they do and uh, tell them what my intentions are. Maybe they'll give me a really sweet deal, right? I called them up and there had been all kinds of rumors that, you know, if you call DirecTV and you tell them that you're mad that they don't carry this particular network, they'll give you NFL Sunday ticket for free and they'll lower your bill by this. They'll do all these things, right? And uh, so I called them. I said, hey, I'm, I, I want to cancel my service, right? Kind of kind of bluffing a little bit. And you know, I, I didn't know that I was totally ready to do it, but uh, I said, I, I want to cancel. And she says, oh, why is that? And I tell them, well, you don't carry this particular network. And I'll just say it was the Pac-12 network is what I wanted. You don't carry the Pac-12 network. And she says, well, I'm very sorry. Uh, you know, what, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to switch, switch over to this other TV provider that does. She said, well, we're in negotiations with the Pac-12 networks. And I said, I know you've been telling me that for three years now <laughs> and you still don't have it. And she said, well, at any time they could be in negotiations with them too. And they could lose them anytime now. And it was just quiet. Oh, and I said, this is all you got. <laughs> That's really the best you get. It's all you're going to do to keep me around. She said, Oh, I'm sorry. It's, you know, that at any time now. And I said, all right, we need to finish off this cancellation. So, um, direct TV, instead of trying to keep me, who was largely just bluffing. I, I don't know that I was really going to leave uh, due to their pathetic offer. And uh, it's just kind of an insult to my intelligence. Uh, I, I fired them right there on the spot and signed up with another provider. So I don't know, people just value your customers a little bit more, or at least make it look like you do because pretend that was pretty to pathetic. Care. <laughs> yeah. Could you pretend to care? Love. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. And that's true. I think for cell phone companies, they're a little bit better, but when you call to cancel, they try to match the deal and fix that. And fix that's like, no, it's too late. If you're gonna yeah. fix it, that was two months ago. Well, yeah. we'll match their rate. Well, why didn't you lower it before? You're only gonna lower it when I complain. That's what gets me <laughs> upset. It's like, wait a minute. Well, we'll match it. We'll match it. Well, why didn't you match it two months ago? Right? I know. So I know. It's too little, too late, and they don't even try. Versus it's the value, the LTV, the long-term value of a customer, and treat them that way because. You could have, what did you switch to? Did you say it was Dish? I switched could, to Dish, yeah. To where, I mean, if you kept that for five, 10 years, what is the value of that? And if they've proactively called you and added a free station and gave you free this and added this and reduced the prices when the competitors did, you would stay with them forever, yeah. providing that they're giving you the service that you want and the signal that you want. There's no reason for you to leave because it's a pain in the butt to leave. Uh -huh. You would rather stay. It would have been much easier for you to stay with them than to switch, but they didn't even try. All right, I'll take it. I'll switch, even though it's more work for you. Gave me all the motivation that I wanted or that I needed in order to make that uncomfortable decision because, yeah, I had to sit at my house from 8 to 1 on Saturday waiting for the other guy to get there to do the install, right? Don't you love that? Yeah. You'll be there from any time from noon to midnight. Are you going to be there? I'm like, well, yeah, I just sit at my house all day waiting for yeah, you. Yeah, waiting for you. And, <laughs> and they never come at the early end of it, right? No. They make you wait every second of that window. 
Yeah, it's the very last. I think they're yeah. just sitting around the corner laughing, eating a cheeseburger, waiting for them. It's 7.59 if they said 8 o'clock. That's what I'd be doing. <laughs> That's right. Nothing wrong with eating a cheeseburger. Yeah, it's all about the cheeseburger. Yeah. Well, don't say we didn't ever save you any money, listeners, because you could probably call your cable provider and your cell phone provider and just pretend to be mad, and they'll unload all kinds of goodies on you. Because the deal you're getting now, obviously there's a ton of margin in there because these companies have big save departments that... Uh, are designed to retain customers and they're given a list of goodies that they can give away to do it. So just be grumpy twice a year and uh, cut your bills down a little bit. And just remember, goodies are good. Yes, they are. So are cheeseburgers. There we go. Double cheeseburger, please. <laughs> yes, yes. There's <laughs> <So, laughs> our food talk for the day. It's food talk for the day. We'll offend some people next week, but we appreciate you listening to the show here at Maximize Your Influence. Send us your feedback, your comments, questions, derogatory remarks, insults, recipes, uh, college football playoff predictions to maximize your influence at gmail.com. Listen to us on Stitcher Radio and on iTunes and in the Windows Marketplace, or just go to maximizeyourinfluence.com and you can listen to everything there as well, as well as read the blog. And yeah, like I said, we really appreciate listening. We'll catch you next week. See you next week. 